Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today we're joined by bookseller David Abel, who owns Passages Bookshop in Portland, Oregon. Passages Bookshop is an open bookstore. It specializes in unusual, fine and rare books and graphic art, focusing on poetry, modern art and literature, fine printing and artists' books. Now, David's career in bookselling began in the 1980s on the other side of the United States, and today we're going to learn about his journey in bookselling and some of his more recent ups and downs. Welcome, David. Thank you, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining us. All right, perhaps we can go back to the beginning, and can you tell us uh, how and where your life in bookselling began? Certainly. It all flows out of my uh, childhood uh, passion for books and for writing. I'm a poet and uh, have always uh, been surrounded by books, at least as long as I can remember. I started reading before I started school. And in college, I was introduced to a, a world of American poetry uh, post-World War II that was uh, whose, whose uh, books were really, poets whose books were not available. They were out of print for the most part. And I started looking for those books. And uh, I was in school a couple hours north of New York City on the Hudson River. And there was a bookstore then. Uh, for many decades in New York devoted exclusively to poetry called the Phoenix Bookshop. I started visiting the Phoenix Bookshop, getting their monthly catalogs, buying books by mail when I could afford them on my student budget. And then one day, I was in the little used bookstore in the basement of the library, and I saw a book on the shelf for a quarter that I'd seen in the Phoenix Bookshop catalog for $150. And it was a light bulb moment. I, I bought that book, I took it to New York, I sold it to the owner of the Phoenix. He sort of wrinkled his nose, it didn't have a dust jacket, it had a, a date in ballpoint ink on the title page that someone had written. And he said, well, we'll, we'll assume it's a, a review copy because that's around the publication date. But he gave me $40 for this book I'd paid a quarter for which I turned around and then spent on, on books of poetry. Well, in that moment, I, I, I was converted, and I started buying books to sell them to the Phoenix to support my book-buying habit. Uh, a number of years later, uh, with a few uh, uh, adventures in book selling that didn't quite pan out, I started setting books aside and thinking instead of just scouting and turning them over, I would find a way to sell them directly myself. It took quite a few years before I figured out how to do that. But um, in the mid-1980s, living in New York City, I stumbled into a cache of books. It was a, a gigantic underground storage space full of books. It's a whole story in itself. We could do an entire podcast on the story of this uh, had been a, a rare bookstore in the Virgin Islands that had been in storage for 10 years in New York City, three stories below Little Italy, below the street. And I was only one of many, many people, many, many book dealers and others who went through this space, but I pulled out so many boxes of books 
but I couldn't even get around to my apartment in uh, in New York. Uh, my entire living room was was filled, and that's what pushed me to go and look for a, a space to open my first bookstore, which opened in in New York City on Halloween of 1987. So you started as a book scout. Um, exactly. Which are, are people that supply uh, used and rare bookstores with items that they find and literally scout them out. Exactly. And primarily they sell them to booksellers. Uh, occasionally a, a scout will make finds that go directly to auction or will have some personal contacts. But primarily they're people who booksellers depend on uh, as a sort of additional army of people out uh, looking at yard sales and in thrift stores and uh, uh, in all manner of places. And some scouts become legendary. Uh, the writer Larry McMurtry uh, was a bookseller pretty much all of his life. When he was in college, he worked in a very fine bookstore in Houston. And then he had bookstores in the Washington, D.C. area and uh, Tucson and elsewhere. But his main location in Archer City, Texas, called Booked Up, is, is still there. He was a legendary scout. He would follow trails. He would uh, learn that a particular publisher had spent time in the city, and he would go and snoop around and try and find traces. And another more recent, uh, very um, uh, well-known scout was a man named Martin Stone, uh, a British writer and, and bookseller who was a, a, a there's a in fact a tribute to him a book about his activities as a scout uh, so that's how I started with scouting right so you you started with a an open bookstore in New York City uh, but your first iteration of passages was actually in Albuquerque how did you end up in Albu Albuquerque well that first store in New York was called the bridge bookshop after the Brooklyn Bridge and the Hart Crane poem. Right. And it lasted a couple of years, but it, was, I, it wasn't it was viable uh, economically. And uh, I also got married in the interim, went back to work. I worked for another bookseller, uh, Steve Clay of Granary Books, and that's where I really began to learn about fine printing and contemporary artist books. I did have a background in typography before that, so I was receptive, but I, I hadn't known really uh, what the history and, and present-day activity in book arts was until I worked for him. But then I, after, after that, I, I, I needed what I'd call a real job again and went back to work in, in commercial typography and uh, publishing production. My wife and I decided to, to leave New York um, like uh, many people, I was working so many hours in New York to be able to afford to be there that I didn't have any time to enjoy any of the reasons I wanted to be in New York. We moved to Albuquerque primarily because my family was in New Mexico. I did have some past experience there, including having worked in a, a really interesting bookshop in Albuquerque called The Living Batch, which I'd worked at earlier in the 80s. And uh, when I first arrived in Albuquerque, I was continuing to work in book production. At that point, it was primarily math and science textbooks, college textbooks. But after a while, the 
I guess the bug uh, just got me again to want to be working with books. I, I, a number of factors all conspired to, uh, including a friend who encouraged me and uh, was my primary uh, investor, if you will, in that second store, which I decided to call Passages Bookshop. It was my first, uh, it was the beginning of working with artists, working with people who make books, in addition to having out of print and rare poetry and art. I also had exhibitions of artwork by people who made books, and I continued something I'd begun working for Steve Clay at Granary, which was visiting rare book librarians, special collections in universities and some museums, and selling those those books directly to them, these contemporary handmade books and uh, artist books. So perhaps we should just define what... uh artists books are so i'm thinking they are uh, where the book itself is the medium and the book as an object is considered to be a piece of art that's that's essentially right there are competing definitions and multiple strands of history and tradition that come together and what people refer to as artist books now uh, probably the two or let's say the three of the the really prominent traditions that come together. One is um, the European illustrated book, the Livre d'Artiste, which in its most famous examples, most uh, opulent examples, are books with original prints by Picasso, for instance, uh, and and artists of that stature. Um, And then you have a kind of craft tradition that is very associated for example, with the arts and crafts movement in the late 19th century, William Morris, the Kelmscott Press, a revival, or not even revival, but a focus and an elevation of the crafts of papermaking and handset type and type design and printing, the elevation of that into a a very highly refined uh, art form. So you have those two things very active in the first half of the 20th century and then you have a more proletarian if some people will say or just mass produced object post post world war ii where you have artists who are turning to the book as an alternative in some ways to the gallery system and the museum the world of fine art uh, the distribution system and being able to directly uh, bring their artwork to an audience by printing uh, inexpensive uh, mass-produced books that they can distribute themselves. And you had first the books themselves, very famous in that uh, realm are the books of Ed Ruscher, um, his Every Building on the Sunset Strip, these books from the 1960s that were photographically driven, offset printed, um, and then you had the rise of initially artist-driven outlets, uh, collectives run by artists and stores, printed matter in New York, Art Metropole in Toronto, and places like that. So even with that complex story, it's, it's, it's somewhat simplistic, but you have these multiple strands, and at this point, there are artists who will use any or all of those different kinds of traditions in a book project, uh, along with now print-on-demand and other technologies. 
to make books that are uh, books made by artists is probably the easiest way to, to describe it. Okay, so if we walked into a Passages Bookshop this morning, can you give me uh-huh. a couple of examples of what I would see? Well, you would see outside, before you came in, you'd see a couple of carts with sale books, with uh, uh, books, uh, dollar books and $2 books, and, and then, uh, so it is a, a sort of traditional used bookstore in that sense, but once you came in the door, you would see uh, tables and display cases with uh, rather unusual books, uh, books on uh, avant-garde art, uh, books of contemporary poetry, and then in the display cases, um, handmade books, books with original prints, objects that are really more like sculptural objects, but are made by, by people who make books that involve text in one way or another, um, books with original photographs and prints and things like that. Uh, you'd also see an entire wall of poetry uh, from very inexpensive books to books that are hard to find, signed, inscribed, out of print. Um, there's a wide range within the fairly narrow area that I'm most interested in, uh, but still quite a, a range of uh, kinds of books and, and, and price points for the books, too. So you're in Portland, and uh, most people in North America know Portland um, to being uh, the home of Powell's, which is a behemoth of a, of a book sh- bookshop. Um, yes. So how, how do the other bookshops in this city fare when to, it seems like it, that city is dominated by this one big bookshop? Powell's is a, certainly an outsized presence. Um, it used to be, I'm not sure if this is still true, but it used to be that Powell's was the second most visited site in Oregon for people who come to Oregon. There's this very famous waterfall in the Columbia River Gorge, the Multnomah Falls, and then after that, Powell's was the number two. Uh, so it's really very much associated with Portland. Uh, they have multiple stores. Their main store is an entire city block. So it's, it's a very big... I think that it can have a very... Uh, a positive presence for other booksellers in that people come to town to look for books. And people who live in Portland uh, uh, buy a lot of books. Uh, I, can't, I can't very well speak to what it's like for someone who's trying to sell new books. Um, that's a, a different market and a different uh, kind of store. There are other small neighborhood and independent booksellers in Portland who sell new books and they do seem to do well. There aren't very many of them and there are fewer now than there were when I moved here 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago. So is there a connection there? Someone who's in that business would would need to address that. I don't know. But I know that in the last few years after something of a downturn with a number of used bookstores closing, uh, there have been quite a few new stores opening in the last uh, couple of years or few years. So I'm encouraged by that, and I would say in general, I think uh, we we get a little bit of a coattail effect from Powell's if, if people are curious to know, well, besides Powell's, what else is there in Portland in terms of books? So having sold on uh, both sides of of North America, both co- both coasts, do you think there's a difference between the East and the West in terms of book selling? There, I think there is. I think there are two primary uh, drivers to that. 
as a as a used bookseller, um, the one enormous difference is just the availability of of interesting books and interesting personal libraries on the East Coast is just unparalleled. You have two hundred years, more than two hundred years head start. Uh, and not only a longer time, but because for so long it was very much the intellectual, financial, and, and uh, capital, uh, the wealth of private libraries that over time eventually make their way into the market is, is extraordinary on the East Coast. It's not quite the same out here. So that's one big difference. But then in terms of book selling, I would say it's a reflection of the differences just in the culture. Uh, people do live their lives differently on the West Coast. I don't know if I live here, if I stay here the rest of my life, I don't know if I'll ever really quite understand the West Coast uh, social uh, vibe. <laughs> uh, I still, I still, after after more than 20 years here, feel like I stick out. Uh, so, so people have a different... Um, they don't have quite the same sense of urgency. And that is a, what draws a lot of people to the West Coast who didn't grow up here, is that the pace is different. It's not quite so uh, manic. Um, and that's both welcome and also I miss it. Uh, I miss, uh, I'll always miss that. So one has to adapt to a little different way of marketing the books, a little different kind of uh, sense of what time means in terms of how long it takes people to sort of fulfill things that they suggest that they might be interested in or do. Uh, those are the primary differences. I think there's also, of course, a, a different history even in in uh, printing and bookmaking. And one thing I will say is that the only entirely unbroken craft printing tradition in the United States is, is the Bay Area. Uh, there was a, really quite a break in the early 20th century in the traditions of printing uh, with the advent of offset and some other social changes. And the one place where there's really never been a break in, in fine craft printing is in the San Francisco Bay Area. Right. I was driving uh, yesterday and I saw a bumper sticker in front of me which said, uh, keep Portland weird. Yes. Which it's sort of... <laughs> a, a famous motto that has now been kind of adopted in many other places. But. Yes, yes. Um, so back to your shop. Uh, you, yes. You're also telling me that you, you stage events as well. I do. I, I, I've always been involved in, in organizing uh, primarily literary events, but also other kinds of events, even beginning in college and very much uh, continuing in, in New York City and then Albuquerque through my bookstores and then independently in other kinds of venues, poetry readings, book launches. I have exhibitions, art exhibitions in my store, which is also functions as a gallery. So there are openings and lectures associated with the exhibitions. But I've always wanted to, to do other things. I've been personally involved uh, as a performer in theater and interdisciplinary performance and other kinds of work like that, recordings in New York and uh, so I've always wanted to somehow include that. In my little tiny, tiny little shop in New York, I had solo music performances by downtown musicians, people like Elliot Sharp and Sam Bennett, Davey Williams. Um, so recently I've also brought some of that back into the, the uh, mix of events at, at Passages where 
I've had uh, local musicians and composers, and I'm looking forward to having more performance and, uh, uh, again, continuing with lectures and talks and uh, poetry readings and book launches and things like that. Okay. Now, uh, sadly, recently you, you suffered at the hands of, of thieves. Um, could you describe what happened and, and what you lost? On uh, the morning of January 2nd, I got a call from the police that there had been a break-in at, at the shop. Someone who works in the building, it's an apartment building with some uh, retail stores at the ground level. Uh, someone who works there very early in the morning had no my back door into the parking garage open but my car not present they came around to check and found that the store had been broken into uh, sometime in the middle of the night uh, January 1st uh, persons and I think almost certainly more than one because of how much they took uh, forced their way in forced open the door uh, and proceeded to uh, take books from I have uh, five that right five glass uh display cases uh three of them they smashed the glass two of them they didn't have to uh, they weren't locked and they took close to a hundred books from exclusively from the display cases uh, they also took the store's cash and cash box uh it was uh it was devastating and it was quite a shock to see the entire floor of the store littered with broken glass um now what is it i guess it's over a month later and having vacuumed a dozen times i'm still finding glass fragments um that's what happened <laughs> and uh i immediately began to try to reconstruct what was missing what was taken i don't have a complete inventory the inventory changes all the time uh, to the degree that I was able to, I, I created a list of about two-thirds of the things that I knew had been taken, which that list was immediately circulated to booksellers in the region and antiquarian booksellers nationally and Powell's, of course, and the police. Uh, no, none of the books have turned up so far. So uh, that list is on your, on your website. Um, it is. What, what should someone do if well just generally if you ever offered a stolen book or a book that appears suspicious I think that um, there's a, a, so, a somewhat standard protocol the first and most important thing is of course don't put yourself in any danger so don't confront someone that you think might you know possibly be uh, dangerous in that way uh, obviously unless you're absolutely certain you know don't don't sort of accuse someone but if you suspect or even have really really strong knowledge that that uh, someone is offering you stolen material if it's possible especially if it's part of what your normal procedure is which in some states like Oregon it's actually by law try to get some identification you know explain that you know in order to buy uh, used material you have to have identification um, if you can stall you can say, you know, I need to do a little research. Can you come back in an hour, or can I hold on to these for the day, or whatever? If you can stall and document the, the material, take photographs of, of the books, um, uh, and uh, if you do have information, whether the 
whether you still have the material or the people are still present or not, call the police. Okay. Um, that's sort of the best you can do. Okay. I do hope they turn up. Um, Thank you. Now, the story isn't over. Um, someone quite famous telephoned you out of the blue. Could you also explain what happened there? Yes, a couple of weeks after the break-in. Oh, I should begin by saying that the response to the news was uh, entirely out of proportion to anything I would have possibly expected. I posted uh, the news about the break-in on Facebook, and very, very in very short order, uh, the post had reached 17,000 people, which is about 17,000 times what I would have expected. Uh, and so the, the, the word spread very widely. And uh, two local newspapers wrote about it, a local monthly magazine wrote about it, four television stations came to the shop, two stations ran stories on their programs, and the others put it on their website. So it was publicized quite broadly. The first story, the first Oregonian local newspaper story by Doug Perry, began with a paragraph where he listed four books that he had uh, just pulled off of the list on my website. And so the, the first paragraph says, you know, uh, Carlos Castaneda, The Adventures of Don Juan, Alan Bloom, The Republic of Plato. He lists these books, and one of the books he lists is The Complete Patty Smith. Well, I got a call a couple of weeks after the break-in from someone who said they were some, somebody Smith in New York. It didn't really register who it was, and I thought, what does this person want? And they said they had read about the break-in, and then they said, I saw that one of my books had been stolen, and while I can't replace the Warhol that was taken, I would like to, I thought I could send you some of my books, some signed copies of my books, and at that point I realized that it was Patti Smith calling, and I was speechless. That's beautiful. Um, so Patti's a famous bibliophile. If you read Just Kids, she uh -huh. re recounts her early days in book selling, where she's in working in several of the New York City bookstores. Yes, and she is, of course, an author as well, a National Book Award-winning author. Yeah. And uh, and throughout her work as a writer, as a as a musician, as a lyricist, and I guess you know you could say as a bookseller, she's always promoted the the books and authors who have meant a lot to her, whether it's Rambo or William Burroughs or others. So um, it's it's not uh, it's not a, a arbitrary gesture. Uh, she described it as a, a neighborly gesture because of her love of bookstores. Yes, yeah, I, I can I can understand that. Okay, um, well, I do hope that it all works out. Um, so our final question, which we ask to all our guests, and that is, what book or books are you currently reading? I am a very promiscuous reader. Uh, I'm all, always reading many things, and this is probably not that uncommon among your guests, but I always have piles sitting next to me on the sofa right now, or four big piles. Uh, so I'm always in many books at once, and I, I have a tendency to come back to books after a long time that I don't finish, or, or sometimes never. But but I'm, I'm reading a number of things uh, right now. Um, I'm reading Thoreau's... Uh, journals, uh, selections from his journals, because they're 14 volumes and 7,000 pages altogether, but, and I'm reading Walden uh, in concert with the journals. Uh, 
I also found that because the world of Walden and of the journals of early 19th century New England was such a, uh, in a way, kind of alien world, that I needed a counterbalance. So I'm also reading Victor Klemperer's I Will Bear Witness, which are the extraordinary diaries uh, in uh, Germany during the rise of Nazism. Uh, he was a, a professor of Romance languages in Dresden, Germany, and with, uh, gave testimony to all the changes in daily life and the changes in language. Um, I just finished uh, another memoir with photographs and letters by Lucia Berlin, the extraordinary short story writer who's, uh, after more than a dozen years after her death, became a sort of overnight sensation when her collected stories were published by Ferrara a few years ago. That book is called Welcome Home. I, I have a, a little obsession with the French Revolution, and I'm reading a couple of books specifically on the, the historiography, the, the, the interpretation of the French Revolution by a historian named Francois Ferret and the, uh, Eric Hobsbawm, the uh, British historian. Um, and last but not least, uh, because it was the anniversary last month of, uh, of his death, of the day that he hung himself in Paris, um, I've been rereading uh, the poems of Gerard de Nerval, the early French, early 19th century French poet who was a great inspiration to the romantics and surrealists. That's quite a selection, quite a very selection. <laughs> yes, when people when people walk into the in the shop, they look around and they say, "Oh, it's people who know me." They say it's kind of like being inside your head, and uh, that's the way my reading goes. So, so my so goes my reading, so goes my store. <laughs> well, that's good. It's uh, a mirror version of you. All right. Uh, okay. That's all we have time for this week. Uh, David, many thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's really been a delight. Lovely. Thank you. I do hope those books are recovered. So you can visit Passages Bookshop at... 1223 Northeast MLK in Portland. MLK is Martin Luther King. Uh, they are open Thursday through Saturday from 12 noon to 6 p.m. or by appointment or by chance. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show and we'll see you again soon. Thank you. <laughs>